Welcome back in. Brady Farkas show right here on a Wednesday on WDEV, AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Joining us now as he does every single Wednesday, it's Red Sox and Bruins insider at Nesson, Tom Karen. TC, how are you? Good, Brady. How you doing? Excellent. I want to put a bow on our previous Patriots conversation. How are you feeling about the Pats heading into Saturday night? Well, I mean, listen, it's not a team that's exuding a ton of confidence. That loss uh, to the to the Dolphins certainly doesn't make you feel great about it uh, on the road in Buffalo. I, I'm looking forward to it. I just think, you know, I said for the last few weeks, I wanted one more rematch between these two. There were two really compelling games, uh, the win in the wind. Uh, the the uh, Bills' uh, impressive response uh, in Fox Pro. So let's line them up. But I think, you know, listen, Bills are going to be Bills. I mean, there's no doubt about that. They'll find a way to, uh, to, to, to botch a player three along the way. But I still think in the end, the Bills are better. You know, I think the Pats and the Red Sox have an insane amount of similarities from this season. They come in with little to no expectations. They outperform those expectations, and then they fall off pretty precipitously at the end. I gave the Red Sox largely a pass for their fall. The the, the Pats, I feel very disappointed in what happened. Why do you think I feel differently, given that the, the, the seasons were almost identical? Yeah, I, although, I, I mean, in, in fairness, you'd have to go back to see what you said before the playoffs for the Red Sox, right? And, and you know, when that season ended, and, and let's go back to, what was it, two weeks before the end of the season when the Yankees came in and just destroyed the Red Sox at Fenway. John Carlos Stan had batting practice for three days. And we, we none of us were feeling very good about the Red Sox going into the playoffs. Now they wind up where with a win against the Yankees and eliminating the Rays coming two, outs, uh, two wins away from the World Series. You feel good about them now. So, I, I, you know, I, I, we'll have to wait to see what the Patriots do in the playoffs, obviously, to decide. But that seven-game winning streak, you know, we're so the thing about football is you have a week between games, and and the hot take highway just you know gets over overloaded, and and so you know we it was six weeks in and we were at all without Brady this franchise will never be anything, and then after a seven game winning streak, well there it is he's the greatest coach of all time it's all about Belichick, and now you know to me the play the other night if you want to if you're going to say Belichick uh, was the reason they had the seven game winning streak. Well, the fact that they didn't trust Mac Jones to go for it on fourth and inches, that was the play of the game to me. Uh, try to draw them offside, you blow a timeout that you might have been able to use later. Uh, I, you know, it, it, to me, it, this is still a flawed uh, team right now, and Belichick's doing the best he can with them. But uh, I, I don't know. The seven-game winning streak, I just think, raised our expectations so ridiculously high. And, and they did it with really good defensive plays, so – well, I was talking to the rookie quarterback. I think we started to feel the defense was going to be enough to get him there. But reality, you, you need a quarterback. Uh, he hit the rookie wall. I think he's going to be fine in, in years to come. Uh, but uh, the expectation has to be low for him right now. Let's go to the Red Sox. John Lester today announced his retirement. Longtime Red Sox stalwart threw a no-hitter, won a World Series. Um, your memories of Lester were what? Oh, I, I always go back to the first. He won two World Series here and another with Chicago. Yep. In 07, uh, you know, when he wound up getting uh, the win, the start in the, in the fourth and final game of the World Series, you know, it had, in 2006, and he'd been diagnosed with cancer, if you remember, and, and you know, had to shut down. And I'll never forget spring training in 2007. had a long conversation with him. And, and you know, I'll never forget him telling me, I, I don't want to be known as the pitcher who overcame cancer. I don't want to be known as, the amazing, 
you know, story of overcoming cancer to get back on the mound. Because I, I want to be known as a great major league pitcher. And, and here we are now with him announcing his retirement. That's the first thing I thought of. Just, you know, we're not talking about the headline isn't John Lester, pitcher who returned from battle with cancer, retired. It's John Lester, you know, major leaguer who won 200 games, three World Series. Uh, you know, he's the guy retiring. And so my initial reaction is just, you know, he accomplished exactly what he had hoped in that he will be remembered as a great major league pitcher and not as just a great story. You know, the Red Sox, it's Lester and it's Clay Buckholtz. But outside of them, they've really struggled to develop pitching talent from within their own system. Now, maybe Tanner Houck can buck that, and Connor Siebold and Nick Pavetta, to some degree, you know, came through the system. So maybe they can get on the other side of that. But why have they had so much trouble replicating the success of Lester since then? Yeah, it's a great question, and it's one that's really plagued the team for a long time. Uh, and we've seen you know, their, their draft picks uh, really flame out, by and large, get pushed to the bullpen, get traded away. Uh, you know, part of that is Dombrowski trading away. You know, Michael Kopak obviously, uh, would, would have been a hell of a pitcher if he stayed here, uh, but, but you made that move to get Chris Sale. So sometimes you turn that great talent uh, as prospects in the their, in their ready, uh, you know, major league ready players that you get in trade. So some of that is that, the, you know, the, you had the Dombrowski era to won the World Series and wiped out a lot of that, those prospects. Uh, part of it, I just think, is it's, it's, it's extraordinarily difficult to succeed in Boston as a young major league pitcher. And and we saw, you know, Hauk jump out to a great start at the end of 2020 uh, and then wind up being really good in the bullpen by the end of 2021. Uh, but it became difficult to, to keep going. It's funny, you, you mentioned Pavetta. You know, they get him in a trade. Eduardo Rodriguez is probably one of the best True. pitchers they yeah. developed uh, in recent years, but they didn't draft him, right? That was an Andrew Miller trade that got him from Baltimore. So, you know, they've done a better job of, of getting young pitchers in trade, even if they're guys they had to develop before getting to the major league level. Uh, but you're right. I mean, I, I, you know, we thought it was, if you remember, it was actually it was Buckholz, Lester, and Papelbon all kind of came in at the same time. Papelbon, because Keith Folk struggled, quickly got thrown into the bullpen where he excelled. Uh, but they wanted him to be a starter. Both Papelbon and Lester were going to be sort of a, the righty-lefty uh, combo that was coming up through the minors. Um, but, you know, he Pabon was so good in the bullpen that in the end, that matched his personality, and he fed off that adrenaline. Uh, you know, Buckholz, the injuries came, but Lester became very durable, and that's one that the organization has to regret. I mean, they bungled the signing, had to trade him away in the end. Uh, he's a guy who probably should be retiring today as a, a member of the Red Sox, and uh, they really, that was on the organization. Red Sox and Bruins insider Tom Karen over at Nesson with us here on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Well, look, last week you called for a meeting to happen soon, and a meeting is happening soon. The Players Association and the reps for the league are going to sit down tomorrow virtually to try to hash some things out. How do you expect this to go as we work towards a lockout resolution? Well, I don't expect the first round. Uh, you know, I, I don't think they're going to sit down and uh, and get a deal done tomorrow. I, I think that would be uh, highly unlikely. I, I'm just hoping it lasts longer than the seven minutes. Yeah. How long the last meeting went? Uh, when when Major League Baseball said, you know, don't talk about this or this. We'll make some proposals, but they're binding. Uh, that's that's no way to get uh, uh, the players uh, to come around. So. Now, you know, this is the beginning to me of the process where you have to get it done. They, I, I firmly believe. They cannot lose a regular season game 
uh, to this lockout uh, at the risk of absolutely destroying a large part of the fan base uh, that props this game up. So uh, this is the beginning. There'll be, there'll be, you know, missteps and turns and left and right. What I do like, and I would say, I thought of Dennis Eggersley yesterday. We talked about this. And, you know, the one thing I like is that I haven't read any quotes from players or owners that are really inflammatory. You know, if you read most of what the players are saying, they seem to say, we'll get a deal done. If you listen to what Manfred has been saying, we'll get a deal done. I haven't heard much from owners at all, which I think is great, uh, because that's usually where the trouble starts, when individual owners start going. Remember, I think there's more disparity uh, on the owner side than there is on the player side. Because you've got big market, medium market, and small market owners who want very different things out of this. So you got to keep those guys quiet, keep them in lockstep, uh, and get the deal done. So as long as, I, as long as that tone continues, I feel pretty good about this. Uh, and, and, but again, you know, a half hour meeting tomorrow, I guess, would be a big step in the right direction, right? After the last, just get some ideas out there and, and let's get the two sides talking again. You know, you have a unique perspective having covered both hockey and baseball for a long time. The NHL lost an entire regular season to a lockout in 0405. What do you think that did to the sport? And I don't think it's going to get that bad for baseball, but, you know, you have, you, you've seen something there that shows you that this isn't a good thing. No, that was a huge, huge step back for hockey. It took a while. I mean, that was, you know, that, that, that they wound up, you know, having that NBC sports package, which for a decade didn't pay them a cent. You know, it was good exposure, but you were getting no money out of your national U.S. Uh, television broadcast. Now, if you go back 10 years earlier than that, I always remember the uh, there was a long lockout in, in 1994, uh, the beginning of the season. They lost about three months, didn't they? I don't think they started playing until January of 95 that year. Uh, and the previous year, okay, the uh, I, I might be mixing up the year, but I think it was 93 that the New York Rangers won the Stanley Cup, right? And that was the big 41 years, whatever it had been. And the, and the Rangers won the Cup. And there was a cover of Sports Illustrated, and, and you people under 30 can go Google what Sports <laughs> Illustrated was. Uh, but Sports Illustrated mattered back then, okay? And, and the cover of, of Sports Illustrated after the Rangers won the Cup was was a picture of the Rangers winning the cup, and I think it was a picture of Patrick Ewing getting mugged as he went to the basket. And it said, why the NHL is hot and the NBA is not. And this was a national publication. I always remember talking to Gary Bettman about that uh, a couple of summers later, and it was, you know, it was all right there. And a year later, they lost half a season to a lockout. And the NBA, uh, obviously, we know how far surpassing the NHL basketball has gone. Uh, but but I really I, I always look at that lockout, the two lockouts, the two work stoppages that to me you can always trace to the impact is what that lockout did to the NHL absolutely killed any momentum the sport had. It just expanded across the U.S. and Florida and Arizona and all those places, uh, and they just really killed any momentum. It took them ten years until the next lockout to really get going again. And then of course it was that same summer, the '94 baseball sports stoppage that, uh, that killed the Montreal Expos. They were going to get a new stadium built. Uh, Pedro Martinez and, and, and those guys had really uh, put that team on the map and, and they were getting great crowds and, and they just never came back. And before you knew it, they were in Washington Nationals. So, you know, these work stoppages have, have real uh, impact on the growth of, of not just the sport, but individual franchises. Red Sox and Bruins insider at Nesson Tom Karen TC. Bruins in action tonight. Tuca's back, not starting tonight against the Canadiens, but uh, we'll see if the Bruins can stay hot and if Tuca can be solid between the pipes and stay healthy. So, TC, we'll talk to you in seven days.
All right, yeah, you get a lot of scoring, and uh, you know, with all these games, I got seven games in eleven days, whatever <laughs> it is. So you might need three goalies to get through this. So we'll see how Puka does.